don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to think. And definitely don't tell me how to think. That is our modern mentality. By and large, that is what our culture teaches. You can't tell me what to do. You certainly can't tell me how to think. Yet, mental health in the United States is at an all-time low. The stats are insane, but I know stats can be skewed and people are often skeptical of them. So just, just take this. You're more likely to experience mental illness than you are to develop heart disease, diabetes, or any kind of cancer. Clearly, clearly we need help with our thoughts. Modern mentality of don't tell me what to do and don't tell me what to think and don't tell me how to think isn't working. So we turn to God's Word. We turn to Philippians. If you have Bible, turn there with me. We're in Philippians 4 today. Or, or should I say, um, uh, open your app for a lot of us. But if you have paper Bible, open that up. Paul, the Bible, and God fly in the face of this modern mentality a lot. Especially in this passage. God's always saying, do this. Think like this. Think this. And he does this because God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows it's what we actually we need. We need a lot of help left to ourselves. Our thought lives are just in shambles. So let's read Philippians 4. Let's start with the passage from last week as these go together. Look at Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, verse eight: whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. What an incredible passage. It hardly needs any explanation. Last week, Joey delved into verses 4 through 7. And, and he was specifically addressing anxiety, some help and some hope for us in our anxiety. Zoomed in to that issue. But this week, in 8 and 9, we see that Paul zooms out to our thought life in general. Some hope and some help for our thought life. We all need this every day. Last week, Joey said this. And I want to reiterate it this week. This is not a quick fix. It's a retraining of our minds to replace false thoughts with true thoughts. That's the heart of this. This isn't a formula. So if this comes across as formulaic, as I preach it this morning, that's not my intent. I just want to bring some help from God's word in the journey, in the battle. Because it is a battle, right? For our minds, for our thoughts. It's hard. So I don't want this to sound oversimplistic. I just want to bring some help from God's Word. So let's take a look. Verses 8 and 9. Here's the help. Verse 8. 
Finally, he says, whatever is true, whatever is all of these things, think about these things. There, there's the phrase that's the heart of this passage. Think about these things. In, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul says this, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and do what? We take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's what Paul is expounding on in this passage. Taking every thought captive. So how do we do that? How do we take our thoughts captive? Well, before we get to that, I want to talk about what Paul's saying in verse 8 here. He says, think about these things. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that any thought that you ever have should, should fit this grid or you're in trouble. Otherwise, we'd always be in trouble, right? How many times do we just have random thoughts? You've probably had a random thought come into your head that doesn't fit this list that isn't so great today already. Maybe even since I started speaking, right? So he's not saying that. Because to some extent, you, you, you can't even control those thoughts. What he is saying is think about. He's saying dwell on, focus on, continue to think about things like this. So it's kind of like Joey said last week. It, it has similarities biblically to, to anger or to worry. So anger in and of itself isn't wrong. It's what we do with it. In your anger, do not sin, the Bible says. Or worry, what's the base of worry? Fear. Well, we actually should be afraid of some things. That's a healthy mechanism God has put in us sometimes. But when we, when we dwell on that worry, when we let that worry overtake us, become anxiety, that's when it's a problem. So the thing, same thing is true of our thought life. It's not the thoughts themselves that are wrong necessarily. It's what we do with them and what we focus on, how we dwell on them. So how do we do this? Here's just some real practical from God's word, how to take your thoughts captive. Because it's hard. It's a battle. Four questions to ask your, of your thoughts. First one, is this thought true? Is the thought I'm thinking right now true? And that's where we start in this list in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. It's first for a reason. Because Paul knows that this is the key to the rest of them. If you get this right, the battle for your mind is well on its way to being one. But here's what we need to do. Here's how you take your thoughts captive in regards to things that are true. You start with what is false. You destroy things that are false. Destroy anything that's false. What's false? Well, it's just something that's not true. So, for example, this week, um, until yesterday... It was false that my sidewalk was shovel. <laughs> okay? It's shovel now, right? But before yesterday, um, it was not. Uh, it was also, that, that's just, that was false, okay? Um, what else is false? It, it is false that you are not immensely valuable and loved by God. You can choose not to believe it, but that is true. You are always immensely valuable and loved by God. Something else that's false. Uh, God is uninvolved with our everyday life. You may not feel like it today, but it's still true that God is involved in your everyday life. So it is, it is false that he's not involved. But it's more than that. Things that are false are more than that. There are also things that you're not 100% sure are true. You following me? So let me give you an example. So um, 
Imagine, this is a pretend scenario, but I'm sure something like it has happened. Imagine I asked my wife, Heather, hey, can you grab some Mountain Dew and you're at the store um, and, and throw it in the fridge so when I come home, I, I can have a cold drink. That'd be great. She's like, sure, I can do that. I'm going to the store anyway. Sounds good. I get home, open the fridge, no dew. Now, I would be tempted to believe in that moment that clearly she doesn't respect me or care about me and wants me to be grumpy that night. (laughs) But after doing some investigating, I would probably find that that is false. She didn't make it to the store because one of our kids came down with a sickness. Another one's really whiny today and having some discipline issues. Okay, something like that. And then I would realize, oh yeah, it had nothing to do with me. And all of the time, this is where the battle lies for our thoughts. Over time, in any relationship, when we start to believe things that we aren't sure are true, just like I was not sure Heather's motives for not giving me that amount of I didn't know. If I choose to believe that as truth, it compounds until one day in a marriage, you start to believe that your spouse really is the enemy. When all along you were just believing lies. See, things that you aren't sure are true, we need to treat as false in our thought life. But how do we do this? How do we, how do we destroy false thoughts? Second Corinthians 10.5, remember it says, it, it doesn't say keep around false thoughts just in case. No, it says destroy arguments set up against the knowledge of God. Destroy them. Here's how you do it. You ask yourself, is this thought real or is it assumed? Question your thoughts. Is this 100% true? And if it's not, destroy it. It reminds me of the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Classic. If you haven't read it, check it out. But here's the premise, if you're not familiar. Uh, there's two demons that are writing letters back and forth to one another. And um, one of them is the, is the mentor demon, so to speak. And so um, that's the context of when they say enemy, he's talking about God. It's a demon's perspective. So in the book, it says... There's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy, God. He, God, wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. See, the devil wants us to focus on what ifs, on uncertainties, on worst case scenarios. And that's the devil's playground. We learn in John 8 that the devil... The devil's native language is lies and deceit. He's the father of lies. So he doesn't just throw, he he doesn't have to throw at us things that are obviously false, like my, my, like my sidewalk being shoveled. No, he throws things that I'm not quite sure of and convinces me that it is true. It's the definition of deceit. We think it's true, but it's not. And so we need help. In this journey of of taking our thoughts captive. So how do we destroy? What does this look like practically to destroy false thoughts? Here's some some things that have worked for me and others. Say things out loud. I mean, maybe not in every context, right? But if you're having this thought, say it out loud. Does it still sound 100% true when you hear it out loud? Write it down. Maybe if you're, like in my example, if I'm hearing, you know, Heather doesn't care about me, respect me, whatever, because she didn't do this or that. 
I should write that down, sign it, Heather Yoder, and then if I'm, and then look at it and go, if I'm not 100% sure that's true, I rip that baby up and throw it in the trash. This is a physical representation of what I'm trying to do with my mind. Another thing you can do is, is what I would have hopefully done in that situation is ask some clarifying, unassuming questions. Hey, is everything okay today? I noticed you didn't go to the store. Are you all right? Investigation. Unassuming. Another thing you can do is just get a, get a friend to help you sift through your thought life. Talk with, call, text, email a trusted friend or mentor. We focused on that a couple weeks ago. But Paul focuses on it again here in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things. He's, he's again saying, hey, it's helpful. It's needed for you to have other people in your life who are farther along in their journey with Christ to help you with your thought life. But we can't leave it there. We can't just destroy false thoughts. We have to replace false thoughts with true thoughts. That's what this passage says. Whatever is true. We can't, we can't just leave it there. Otherwise, we'll end up starving ourselves. We have to replace it with something. So remember... Joey said this last week. It's not a quick fix. We're retraining our minds to replace false thoughts with true thoughts. So let's start with truth. What is true? Certainly the Bible is true. Certainly the promises in the Bible of the gospel that even though we were dead in our sins, Jesus made us alive together with Christ and by grace we have been saved. I mean, those are just gospel truths. It's found in here. The peace of God and the God of peace. This peace is promised to us. There are promises throughout the Bible we can cling to. But here, Paul's getting at more than that when he said whatever is true. The Greek, the original language the New Testament was written in, is talking about this word, every time it's used, it's talking about anything that's correct. Anything that's correct, focus on that. So how do we do that? How do we replace those false thoughts with true thoughts? Let me give you some real practical examples from very different people. Okay? Uh, if, if you haven't been around very long, or um, maybe you just haven't noticed somehow, uh, Joey and I are very different people. Okay? Um, so let me, let me use him and I, and maybe we can kind of uh, cover the, uh, at least some of the gamut of, of people's tendencies and thoughts to help us with this. So Joey last week used this example of how his tendency, um, is to be OCD. So when a family member puts something, a spoon or a fork, whatever, in the dishwasher incorrectly, it automatically gets, gets his blood pressure going. And he's probably tempted to believe in that moment. Oh, whoever did that, they, they just must hate me. Okay, or disrespect me or something like that. But here's the thing. He needs to destroy that thought because most likely they weren't intentionally trying to irk him. But then he needs to replace it by doing some investigation, by going to his wife or to his child and saying, hey, I noticed this wasn't in the right place. What happened? And they go, oh, I'm sorry. I was rushed. I had to get out the door. Um, and, and so Joey learns that truth And then he needs to replace it. He now knows what's true and he needs to go, okay, they were rushed. This had nothing to do with me. They care about me and respect me deeply. See, that's what this looks like, boots on the ground. Now let's go to me. Um, Here's some of my tendencies. 
Um, and most of them are pretty sinful most of the time when I, they manifest themselves. So um, I'm rather forgetful. Um, yeah, Heather's going to have fun as I get older. Um, I'm pretty perfectionistic. Um, I tend to beat myself up more than I should, and I get pretty defensive. Now, let me just pause for a second and say, if, if you can identify some of your ten, sinful tendencies in your thoughts, half the battle's won. And not just, not just identify them, but then remember those tendencies in the situation. Continue to remind yourself, oh, here's my tendency. You need to battle that a bit. But let's pretend I forgot to order a pizza or order the pizza for a meeting after church. What's funny is this is an actual scenario, but I didn't forget. Actually, I had I asked Stacy to do it. But um, anyway, get credit where credit's due. But let's pretend I forgot to order pizza for a meeting after church. 8 a.m., hour before the first service, Joey's like, hey, did you order the pizza for the meeting? And I'm like, uh, well, here's, here's, here's my thoughts right there, okay? I would be tempted to think out of my perfectionistic tendency right away, Matt, you are such an idiot. I would then want to respond to Joey defensively and go, uh, no, I didn't forget. And then go to my office and order it myself. Now I'm lying. See, it spirals. I need to destroy that thought and in that moment to be able to go, no, you are not an idiot, Matt. And respond to Joey by going, hey, good catch, Joey. Thanks. Let's order that. Let's take care of it. And then I can replace those false thoughts by going like this, taking it a step further. Hey, I don't have to be perfect because even in this silly little pizza situation, Jesus was perfect for me and there's grace for me right now in this situation. And I can remind myself of this. Hey, you know what? Joey asked me that because he wants the best for me and for this meeting and for our church. It's a daily battle though. This is not just a one and done thing. It, It does get easier, but it's always a battle. And for many people, that's very discouraging. It's like, God, why don't you just why don't you just change the way we're wired? Why don't you just change our minds? Why do I have to live in this thought battle all the time? Here's why. It keeps us desperate. It keeps us desperate for the Holy Spirit's power. Because outside of Him, I'm toast in my thought life. It brings me relief. Because I don't save myself. So even on my worst day of taking my thoughts captive, Jesus is still my Savior. Praise God, I am not. And as we, as we battle, as we grow in our ability to take our thoughts captive, it brings the peace and the joy that we all long for more and more. And someday, that we'll experience fully in heaven. So how do we do this? How do we take our thoughts captive? Again, first question, is my thought true? And I, again, I could stop right here. The battle really is won or lost right here in the battle for our minds. Now, let me, let me take pause a second from these questions. And I just want to go through this list. There's the, quite the extensive list. And here's why this list is here. I think Paul wanted to keep going with his list. And then realized, oh, I mean, I... Okay, I need to save some ink. I need to get this letter. Okay, um, if anything's 
worthy of praise, anything's excellent, think about that, move on. See, I don't think, I was going to tackle this by just going one by one, but I think there's just overarching principles that Paul is trying to get us to see. They all, all of these apply vertically in our relationship with God, and they apply horizontally. Notice none of them are focused solely on either relationship. You could apply this between me and you and with uh, myself and God. But first, let me, I'm just going to go through this list and give you just simple definitions of all these. And if you want, this is just another bonus. Um, I, I memorized this passage in NIV long ago. And I came up with this acronym that was helpful to me, and it may be helpful to you, but probably not because it's weird. Um, uh, It's Tenerpla EP. Okay, think like an EP. Is that still a thing? Five? No? Okay, it's a track. It's a album. Is that album? They still call them that? Okay, album. It's an album. Uh, with like four or five tracks on it, smaller EP. So I just remember Tenerpla EP, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. That's what I should be thinking about. But here's what it is. Uh, True, it just means correct. We've done that one already. Noble or honorable here in the ESV is worth respecting. Right or just means morally fair. Pure means uh, sinless. Lovely means beautiful. Admirable means worth repeating. Excellent, extremely good, and praiseworthy is worth highlighting. Now let's break this down. How do we take our thoughts captive? First question, is my thought true? Second question, is my thought approved of by God? This is this this vertical part of this whole list. It's pointing to our relationship with God and going, okay, when I'm thinking this, would God approve of it? And so how do we tell if God would approve of it? Well, we go to his word first, right? Does it line up with scripture? Does it align with God's character and heart in scripture? Not just his commands, but the the way that God operates. Does it go blatantly against anything that's clear in scripture? But but let me be clear as well. The solution is not simply read your Bible more. We need to get to the root of our thoughts that aren't approved by God. Stop it doesn't work with your thoughts, right? We've all tried that. Doesn't work. Stop it, doesn't work. It reminds me of the Mad TV skit, Bob Newhart. I've played it before, but I'll just give you a little teaser. Check it out. (laughs) All right, you can check it. She said, if if you didn't hear it, well, I'm afraid to drive. Stop it. And so she she just keeps telling him his problems. Great counseling method, not... Um, But it doesn't work, okay? Check it out on your own later, good times. But here's the question we need to ask to get to the root of our thoughts, to find if they're approved of by God or not, is we need to answer the question honestly with ourselves, what does God think about me? Or maybe better put, how does God feel towards me? I'm not asking you what you know to be true in your head. I'm asking you functionally as you walk through your day. How does God feel towards you? I hear a version of these three from believers the most. I hear God feels very disinterested in me. I'm like, I know he cares, but. Does he really, does he really care? Is he that interested? 
Another one, I feel that God's just annoyed with me. Like, yeah, God's like, yeah, um, I guess I'll put up with you because you're my child because I died for you on the cross. But, you know, whatever, you're not that great. So I'm just kind of annoyed by you all the time. Another one is, is just feeling completely worthless. None of those are biblical. None of those are true. So we need to replace thoughts that are not approved of by God. So based off of that root, whatever you hear, whatever is that predominant thought in your head of how God feels about you and what you think about, what he thinks about you, a really helpful thing is to get what I call and others have termed a fighter verse. This is when you take a scripture and you don't just memorize it, although you do that. You don't just think about it a lot, although you do that. You don't just have it ready to go on a note card or on your phone or wherever you can see it a lot. Although you do that, you battle your thoughts with it. Fighter verses that battle these untrue thoughts, especially the ones about God. So if you are tempted to believe that God is rather disinterested in you, Psalm 139, 17 and 18 would be great fighter verses for you. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. God's thoughts about me are precious. There's more thoughts that he has about me than the sand on the earth. Clearly not disinterested in me. If you're tempted to believe that God is annoyed with you, impatient with you. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Slow to anger. He's not just putting up with you. He's abounding in steadfast love for you. It reminds me of what we just sang. I will build my life upon your love. Why? Because it's a firm foundation. See, that's what we do when we fight. We're building our life on a firm foundation. What if you're, what if you're hearing you're worthless? Great fighter verse, Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't have any reason to feel guilty because the punishment has already been taken care of. Jesus took my punishment on the cross. It's done. It's paid for. I am not worthless. And not just because of that. Look at all of Scripture. Let's start, let's start on the first couple of pages. He created us in His image. So when I say that I am worthless or believe that God, God forbid I believe that God thinks that I'm worthless, I'm actually saying that I think that God is worthless because I bear His image. See, we need to fight because there is, a, there is a lion, a devil, who is prowling around every day to get us to believe false thoughts. And we have the truth to stand on. We don't have to listen to that. We don't have to believe that anymore. You can be free. One way to kind of figure out what, what these thoughts are. Is, is to talk it through with someone. You know, fighter verses are a good start, but we need help. You know, God gave us one another. Talk through with other people. 
what this is, a great question that I ask people sometimes when, when they're really struggling with just with anything as go, what do you hear in your head? What, are, what, do you, what do you hear in your head a lot? That can help you get to the root of what you believe about God. So you can start to take your thoughts captive. So those questions, is, is my thought true? Is this thought true? Second, is my thought approved of by God vertically? And third, is my thought worthy of other people's praise? This is the horizontal dimension, our relationships with others. And so you, you can start re, on a real base level here and go, hey, is it even legal where I live? I mean, unless it's going, unless this law is going against something from the Bible, is it legal? So harming someone else physically, by and large, uh, in our culture, isn't even legal. And that backs up what the Bible even says, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Another good question, does it line up with good biblical things that other people would praise? So whether, you're, whether you know, say you have a friend who is an atheist, would they approve of this thing? So your friend, the atheist, would love if you had the thought of baking cookies for them and bringing them to today. Okay? Don't know many atheists who don't like cookies. Don't know many people who don't like cookies, right? They would probably love that. Does it line up with good biblical principles that would bring others joy and praise? Is it admirable? Remember, admirable means worth repeating. Would you want to see that thought that you're dwelling on put up on this screen this morning? It's a good filter. Is it respectful? Here's what it comes down to. When we're talking about this question, is this thought worthy of others' praise? Is it respectful to other people? Believers and unbelievers alike. You know, this is the way of Jesus. Jesus, when he was growing up, as he was growing up, Luke 2.52, it's about the only thing we learn about Jesus in those years of his life, but it says he increased in favor with who? With God and man. Not just one or the other. In Acts, you see Paul. He, he attracted respect and attention from everyone while honoring God. It's attention to manage. Thoughts that respect others, but yet... Thoughts that are not controlled by others. There's the tension. So let me give you an example. Let's pretend that I am at um, a football game. Let, no, let's pretend I'm at the Super Bowl and my favorite team happened to be in the Super Bowl. Hypothetical. Um, it is hypothetical because I'm certainly not going to that game. I've seen the ticket prices. Anyway, um, when I'm there, let's say I have some friends with me. I have Heather with me. We're there. Okay, I need to be respectful of other people during that game. So I need to not be, be cussing other people out, trying to pick a fight, um, yelling, at, you may, probably even yelling at the refs, not very respectful to them, even if I don't agree. But I should not be controlled by what others think of me either. And you better believe I wouldn't be. Okay? I should be yelling. I should be passionate. I should be loud. It's fun. I should, and even if my wife or one of my friends ends up getting a little embarrassed because I, I'm rather loud. Okay, so if I'm respectful to other people and not controlled by other people, that's what we're shooting for. Those are the thoughts we should let into our minds. I mean, you could apply that to corporate worship too, right? When, you, when we're here and we're singing songs, Am I, am I just holding back now um, uh, in some way or some shape or form? Am I holding back now because 
I care too much about the person next to me and what they'll think? Or on the other end, am I doing this or that in a way that's just going to distract other people or isn't very respectful to other people? If I'm running into other people and running around, I mean, it's not, it's not respectful to them. So we have to manage this tension, and here's how we manage it. The same way Jesus managed it, the same way Paul managed it, starts with our thoughts. Taking our thoughts captive. So how do we do that? One, is this thought true? Two, is this thought approved of by God? Three, is this thought worthy of others' praise? And lastly, fourth, is my thought leading me to act or obey? Is this thought leading me to obey? Verse 9 says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive. Why? To do what? Obey Christ. It has to have feet. It has to look like something. See, actions reinforce thoughts, reinforce actions, reinforce thoughts, reinforce actions. You know what I'm saying? Think about it. If, if, if I am thinking in my head that God loves me and there's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus and I remind myself of that regularly in the fight, but I still call myself an idiot a bunch, I still have wrong thinking. Because I'm saying that that truth doesn't apply to me here, though. Or, if I don't offer this love and this grace to somebody else. If I'm saying, yeah, God loves me, there's no condemnation, but there is for them. Then my wrong thinking now is that it only applies to me and not other people. See, right thinking without right living means there's still wrong thinking. So there's, there's our help in this passage of taking every thought captive. But here's the hope. The hope is this. The end of verse 9. The God of peace will be with you. So not just from verse 7. We, we learned that we get this, this peace of God that transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We don't, it's not just that. We get the God of peace himself with us. And he proved definitively that he is peace by bringing peace between us and him. That's why he came, lived, died, rose from the dead. But it goes beyond that, right? He gives us his Holy Spirit that produces peace in us, one of the, one of the fruits of the Spirit. But it keeps going. He continues to bring peace to us through his, his presence. Emmanuel, it's not just a Christmas word. Emmanuel means God with us. That is always true. But it doesn't even stop there. He gives us peace tangibly. You know, this, we're, we're here this morning, yes, to worship God and make much of God first and foremost. But you know, you know what falls right behind that is us being a family. And families have each other's back. And families remind each other of the peace of God. And that the God of peace is with them. So here, here's my challenge to you. If you are not struggling with your thought life, you're a liar. But if you're not struggling as much these days, okay, it's going a little better in this battle for your thoughts, then be a conduit. Of that hope and that encouragement. Reach out to people. Before you even know there's a problem. Reach out to people and encourage them. Remind them that the God of peace is with them. Be tangibly Jesus to them. Share with them. Show them that Jesus 
is the God of peace who is with them right now. And here's the thing. If you are struggling, and I know that's many of us, if you are struggling right now, I challenge you with the same thing. Be a conduit of encouragement and of hope to other people, even in the midst of your struggle. Why? Because as you do it, listen to yourself. Preach to yourself. And it often helps pull you out. Helps give you courage, give you the strength you need to take your own thoughts captive as you preach it to somebody else. So I want to end with this. I want to end by reading Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34 over us. This kind of as a, a, a final cup of, of water for, the, for our thirsty, anxious, tired souls. And what better than Jesus' words for that, right? So for, for some of us, maybe all of us, we need to read, memorize, meditate on this, have this read to us frequently. But here's what I want to do. I want us to just, let's all close our eyes. And I want to read this truth. Jesus' words to wash over your soul. This is Jesus speaking. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food? And your body more than clothing. Look at the birds. They, they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your reassuring words, full of grace, full of truth. And I pray God as we battle this week, as we just, we just battle. It is a battle. Help us, God. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your Holy Spirit. Keep us desperate for you, God. And as we do that, may you be honored and you be praised. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.